This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. told them i said baby it's time for that stuffing and they said but stallion i thought you were keto and i said i am Woo! (laughs) you know what kind of stuffing i'm talking about baby it is the golden stallion the man of tomorrow savzu the rated r radio star just coming off of well you know whatever i'll admit it it had some hit some thanksgiving dinner uh definitely was was feeling uh rather full after that have been having some fun as well uh whew, in fact <laughs> i have some other cool things happening over the next few days but regardless uh if you notice the audio being a little bit different let me tell you a little bit about that in fact i'm doing something a little bit old school here old school meaning that uh whenever i would end up on location um over the past i mean sovereign tech's been going over five years now but whenever i would end up on location I have this trusty, dusty little Zoom H1. Um, it is such a nice little microphone. Uh, in fact, the the microphones on it are, you know, like the, I think this thing costs. I don't even think it costs like a hundred bucks. Okay, but it's an awesome little device. It uh, it has you know micro SD card slot. You can plug it in through USB to transfer stuff or whatever. You could use it as a um, a mic that's directly connected to your computer or something. Um, and it's really small, like it easily, it, you know, or not really small, but it's small enough, you know, it's, it fits in the palm of your hand. I mean, it, it, just a very, very nice microphone, but the kind of the, the, the omnidirectional mics on it, honestly, like they're, they have better sound quality than, than really like the price tag would suggest. Uh, they're just phenomenal. So this is a awesome, awesome little device. Uh, that I've used in the past when I've needed to, you know, kind of quick and dirty, either record something, 
Um, or if I needed to actually do an entire Sovereign Tech show and it's all that I had around. And it's so packable. Like, I just always keep it in my luggage. I'm, I, like, it's, it's just always ready to go and I can just pull it out. And if I need to do an interview, uh, you know, by some impromptu chance or something like that, or again, if I'm just, if I need to record a show on location, well, then hell, that's what I do. And that's exactly what's going on right now. Uh, so, you know, really, really handy to have this here. Um, in fact, I used it. Uh, this will be, if it's not out on Patreon already as, the time, as of the time that I release, release this, it'll be coming out. Uh, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I, we do every month for Sovereign Tech patrons, we do uh, what's called the Relationship Rhombus Show, where I take all of these relationship questions that get sent into Sovereign Tech via, uh, I mean, there's a million different channels in which you could get them to me. And then I answer them on the relation, or, you know, Stephanie and I answer them on the Relationship Rhombus Show. And it's a great time. I mean, like, it's, it's a really great time and uh, very popular, uh, one of the very popular perks for uh, Sovereign Tech patrons. Um, so anyway, if you're, if you're not a patron yet, which I know we got some, uh, got some new patrons this week, uh, but if you're not one yet, well, here's your chance. And believe me, you're going to get a lot of golden stuff. In fact, uh, just this past week on Patreon, finished up the occult technology of power, which is a classic egoist anarchist work, uh, that, uh, and people just went nuts saying, wow, this sovereign tech first university stuff is great. Cause I'll be doing other books as well. Uh, you know, through, through Patreon that, that you can listen to. Uh, and it's a real honor to be able to do that and real honor that everybody is enjoying it. Speaking of sovereign tech first university, that's STFU baby. If you want to get those t-shirts that actually say sovereign tech first university in a big, bold purple letters or purple pink letters, it says, STFU. You can do that by going to store.sovereigntech.com. Get your hands on those. I've already seen a couple of people with them. They look fantastic. Uh, and don't pay any attention. By the way, so I do them. I do the, uh, the the T-shirts through Teespring. They have like a timer and everything underneath the shirt. Like, oh, this this campaign will end after. So-. Pay no attention to that timer. Uh, that timer means nothing. Like. <laughs> It's just, it's more telling you when they're going to print, not necessarily like an end date for it, because I have them set to constantly recur. So, uh, yeah, pay no attention to that timer uh, whatsoever. So, and uh, also around the time of this uh, of this recording, there will be the new, uh, new issue of the Sovereign Tech Newsletter. If you're not on with that, go to zog.email. But you're not here to hear about all that stuff. We're here to get into the tech news. We're here to get into what's hot and happening. And there is sure as hell a lot hot and happening. And I mean a lot. Uh, it's it's actually it, it it's it's pretty pretty maddening uh, this past week just how many things uh, were coming out and obviously I can't cover all of them um, as much as I'd like to. But if you become a patron, when we get closer, we're we're over four hundred now. And once I get to five hundred dollars a month on Patreon, I will start doing. And as long as it stays consistently at five hundred dollars a month, um, I will start doing two Sovereign Tech Prime episodes per week. And I know so many of you have been donating for so long trying to get it to that level. Well, we're, we're almost there. It, it, it's, it's happening folks. (laughs) So anyway, um, all right, let's start talking about uh, what's been going down. You know, this was interesting. Uh, there was a very interesting article that actually got uh, shared in the uh, sovereign tech uncensored Facebook group. Um, and it's from TechCrunch, and it's 100 cryptocurrencies described in four words or less. And what was nice about this, by the way, you know, we're, we're going to play this episode because I'm on location because I'm, you know, 
not in full studio uh, this week. We're going we're to play the segments kind of kind of fast and loose. Uh, but anyway, right now we're still in the foreplay, and you know we will get into. I do have actually a beauty of a story of the week, a very exciting, very positive one um, that I want to talk about. But anyway, in TechCrunch, it was uh, one yeah the 100 cryptocurrencies described in four words or less, and the link is in the show notes for this if you look under the foreplay. And I thought that this was actually kind of brilliant. And there's another nice thing about it too, but. Bitcoin, all right, that's it. So I guess to describe, how did they come up with their top 100? All they did is they went to CoinMarketCap and they, they took the first 100 uh, listed there. And they just and, and they just had somebody describe them in like four words or less. And some of this, I, like I said, I think was actually pretty, pretty brilliant. Uh, Bitcoin, digital gold. Yeah, that's, that's all I really want and need Bitcoin to be, you know, kind of a, a digital reserve currency effectively. Um, I thought that that was really cool. Uh, Ethereum, of course, which I think is shit and they, you know, I think is shit would fit under four words. So they could just go with that, but whatever it's a programmable contracts and money. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Bitcoin cash, Bitcoin clone, perfectly accurate. Uh, Bitcoin cash is not Bitcoin. It's just, you know, it's an altcoin and good on them for describing it in that way. I think they're right on, uh, ripple boy. Now there's a challenge. So Ripple's been around for a very long time, and it's gone through a lot of, I guess you could say, different iterations. Um, the problem with Ripple, especially back, and, and we'll, I mean, we're talking back to like 2013, whenever there was that first Bitcoin conference, that first big Bitcoin conference, it was in San Jose. Um, I was there. Uh, it was a, actually a very memorable um, event for a lot of reasons. One was I got to meet uh, just the absolutely amazing and wonderful uh, Paige Peterson, of course, Sovereign Tech's very own Pixel there uh, for the first time. But for, for a bunch of other reasons, it was really cool. Um, but anyway, Ripple was a hot topic there at the time. And the one of the things, one of the, the I guess as people were going around and kind of talking about it, they, they couldn't describe it. Like they couldn't really succinctly describe, so what exactly is Ripple? You can succinctly describe Bitcoin, but they couldn't describe Ripple. Uh, and so for it to get into four words or less here, granted it's been years down the line and now people have a better grasp of these things, uh, I thought was pretty interesting. But Ripple is Enterprise Payment Settlement Network. Of course, granted, that's not exactly, I don't think that's exactly the original vision for what Ripple was. But good on them for coming up with four words <laughs> to, to try even even uh, begin to describe that. Um, Litecoin, faster Bitcoin. I think that's a fair, that's a fair description. Dash, uh, privacy focused Bitcoin clone. Now, I don't know if that's accurate. So, and I'm not going to go down all 100, by the way, I'm going to move on to some other things, but I just wanted to lay this out. Um, I, I don't know exactly that I would, because Dash is like an entire, trying to be an entire platform. Yes, it's privacy focused, but I think it's it's a lot more necessarily than uh, than than Bitcoin. Um, Neo, NEO, that's uh, Chinese market Ethereum. Okay. <laughs> uh, NEM, which is one that I talked about on Sovereign Tech some years ago, the new economy movement. Um, batteries included digital assets. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, Monero, private digital cash. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good explanation of of Monero. I like that. Um, let's go down to one of my personal favorites, which is uh, Zcash. Private digital cash, same kind of same as uh, as Monero. Now, here's the interesting thing: uh, is that another one on this in this top 100 that that TechCrunch put out there? Um, which understand, it's kind of a big deal if if you get listed in TechCrunch in in any way, you know, especially as a cryptocurrency, because TechCrunch isn't exactly like a blockchain space. Uh, 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 you know, uh, news service or, you know, journalism, uh, uh, 
you know, it's, it, the journalism isn't centered around the blockchain space. Uh, so even though this is just pulling a hundred from coin market cap, uh, this is kind of a big deal. If you get mentioned in, in TechCrunch. You, you know, it's worth bragging a bit about. Uh, and in here is Zencash because yes, Zencash is in the top 100 uh, at Coin Market Cap. Which, when you understand that there's thousands and thousands of cryptocurrencies out there being in the top 100 on Coin Market Cap, that alone, forget about being in TechCrunch, that alone is you know a fairly impressive feat in my opinion. Um, that's not again, success doesn't guarantee virtue. Okay, for a lot of the coins in this, I would think that that they really don't deserve a spot here. Uh, but Zencash, I think, is one of them. Of course, Zencash is a sovereign tech sponsor, uh, full disclosure. But I thought it was really cool that it was here. And they kind of, you know, kudos to TechCrunch, they got it right. Uh, I mean, they got it wrong, but they got it right at the same time. They got it right in that they gave it the same four-word description as Dash, because really, I think Zencash is trying to be sort of the zero-knowledge proofs version of Dash, uh, with a lot of other things, you know, kind of mixed in, you know, secure nodes, all this different stuff. So uh, so th they gave it the same title as privacy-focused Bitcoin clone. But I think that's kind of, like I said, I think that's unfair for Dash, and I think it's unfair for Zencash. But at least they understood that, yeah, they're, they're you know, it, it's, it's an attempt uh, at, at what Dash has done successfully as well. You know, I mean, it's not a clone, but it's, it's a shot with, with some different technologies, you know, kind of baked in. Um, Zencash could have just as easily, you know, maybe if they said privacy-focused platform... I don't know, a privacy-focused cryptocurrency platform, something like that. I, I'm not exactly sure how I'd boil that down into, into four words, but privacy-focused Bitcoin clone doesn't exactly fit that bill. Uh, it's, it's far more relatable to, say, something like Zcash. I, I, in my, you know, well, I mean, it uses the same technology, right? ZK Snarks and all that. Uh, but anyway, this, the link is in the show notes. You can check out the list. I thought it was a pretty good list, and I think that it's very handy if you are describing to people Hey, you know, what is, what is this? What is that? You know, what is, um, uh, you know, what is this coin? What is this coin? There's so many, should I be interested? And to be able to give it not even just an elevator pitch, but four words or less, that's pretty impressive. So I thought that this was a cool article and I appreciate the listener, uh, sending it in and, you know, congratulations really, uh, to Zencash for frankly getting mentioned in TechCrunch. Uh, you, you know, even though it, it, it's 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 not really luck of the draw, but even though it's by the draw, uh, hey, great, you know that that's that's really cool. So okay, let's move on to uh, another another story here. In fact, this one is oh boy, this is kind of crazy. Um, I, I could spend a whole hack sec really talking about this, uh, but I'm I'm going to mention you know I'll read the I put a link in the show notes for the full article. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to read the headline here in a little bit of it. Um, over 400 of the world's most popular websites record your every keystroke, Princeton, research, uh, Princeton researchers find. Um, and it's session replay scripts can be used to log and then playback everything you typed or click, clicked on a website. Uh, I'll read a little bit here from it. Most people who spent time on the Internet have some understanding that many websites log their visits and keep record of what pages they've looked at. When you search for a pair of shoes on a retailer's site, for example, it records that you were interested in them. The next day, you see an advertisement for the same pair uh, of shoes on Instagram or on another social media site. The idea of websites tracking users isn't new, but research from Princeton University released last week indicates that online tracking is far more invasive than most users understand. In the first installment, 
installment of a series titled No Boundaries, three researchers from Princeton's Center for, In- for Information Technology Policy, CITP, explained how third-party scripts that run on many of the world's most popular websites track your every keystroke and then send information to a third-party server. And let's be clear here, like what, what they're talking about is, yeah, there, there's these replay script, these session replay scripts that are literally recording everything that you've got going on on these websites. Um, and, you know, there's not a whole, there's not necessarily a whole lot that can be done um, about this. I will describe some of what can be done, but there are, I mean, there are some big name web pages uh, that are involved with this, uh, particularly even, um, you know, like Yandex, which around the world, that that's a big name. That might not be as big a name uh, so much to Americans. But, I mean, there there's a lot here. And, and it's really, really, yeah. So, like, their findings indicated that at least one of these companies' scripts is, use, is being used by 482 of the world's top 50,000 websites, according to their Alexa ranking. Um, this is a ton of websites. And it's concerning you know, that this is, that this is happening. This kind of recording is happening. And look, the solution is, and in fact, this is, this is a solution that is going above and beyond its intention. The solution for keeping these websites from tracking every little thing you do on when you are visiting their sites. And I mean, you know, it could be store websites. I mean, these are huge websites that, that we're talking about here, um, is to run a, an ad blocker. Okay, run like, you know, uBlock Origin, which is the number one uh, ad blocker that I recommend. Okay, it's fascinating that you have this, you have the the situation that was going, that's been going on with CoinHive, where they found out that which CoinHive is this um, script that can run on a website. Pirate Bay ran it without telling anybody that can uh, do, that can use some of your system resources on your own computer to, uh, to mine Monero. And then, you know, the website could collect the money for that. And, of course, CoinHive, uh, you know, the organization or the development team, CoinHive, behind CoinHive, uh, can collect some of that. And with, with CoinHive, they found out that there was actually, there was only like two IPs or, you know, two, two miners effectively that were collecting um, all of, the, you know, so much Monero from all of these websites that were putting in the CoinHive script. I mean, it was, it, was re- it was really, really crazy what was going on. So it's not like it was really democratizing in any way, um, you know, what, uh, like, like how websites could fund themselves, because really there was only two, for lack of a better term, two organizations uh, that were collecting the bulk of the Monero that uh, was being generated by the CoinHive script. Okay, and I mean, and most security researchers now are coming out and saying, "Oh, no, you know, this this CoinHive," and these are people that are pro cryptocurrencies. You know, they're coming right out and saying CoinHive is is malware, pretty much. Okay, so you know, and and what could stop uh, CoinHive from you know make using resources on your machine and funding somebody that isn't even really the the website that you were planning on funding? Um, that w- that would have been, uh, you know, again, an ad blocker would have been uBlock Origin. Okay, so you you know, ad blockers. Yep, they stop ads. But now we're finding out that they're stopping a lot of this other really shady shit that's going on on the Internet. And what's funny about that is people that are that seem to be very I mean, yeah, I get it. Why, uh, you know, websites like Windows Central or uh, even like TechCrunch or, or, you know, Jizmodo or something like that. I get it where a lot of these other sites may, you know, they come up with their pop-up. And I'm not saying the ones that I listed off all necessarily do this, but they come up with their pop-up that says, oh, we see you're running an ad blocker. Would you please turn this off so that you could see the rest of your site? Um, 
it's it's funny, you know, some there's those sites that do it, but then there's people like security researchers and some others that really should, you know, they should know better. Like like that that have been pushing really hard to tell you to not use ad blockers or to be very specific in what ad blockers you use um, or say like how Google Chrome is baking in uh, ad blocking technology, but it's only going to block the ads that Google seems to find to be unacceptable. And I think what's happening is, is that, or what I feel like this, this Princeton, uh, Princeton research has kind of shown is that ad blocking technology is far more necessary now, I'm not saying this is what Princeton said. This is what I'm saying. Ad-blocking uh, software is far more necessary than than even I realized, okay? And that the uh, kind of the anti-ad-blocking software uh, or the people that are against, uh, you know, ad-blocking, they might have had a lot of ulterior motives because obviously with the amount of data that these session replay scripts are collecting on you, there's, you know, they could do a lot more than just serve you better ads, like there's a lot of data that they potentially could collect that could be seen as very valuable by governments or some some kind of you know corporation or something like that. Uh, I mean, it just it just drives home that yes, run an ad blocker at all times. And if a website tells you we won't let you look at this stuff uh, if you have an ad blocker on, um, you know, just maybe don't even use that fucking website and say, well, fuck you. You don't. And, and, and maybe even send them an email. If you can get to, if you can find their email, I would send them. I'm going to do this from now on. Any site that won't let me do it. I'm going to email them and say, no, I don't think you understand. It's not that I don't want to see your ads. It's that there's a bunch of other shit and I'll link to this story and I'll link to CoinHive and I'll link to a bunch of other stuff. I'm going to say, no, there's a bunch of other shit going on on the internet. Okay. That I want to protect myself from, and I don't necessarily trust you. And that's a problem, you know, like, I, I mean, that, like this really ad blocking technology should be baked in. I mean, kudos to Apple for, for allowing ad blockers to work system wide. I'll give them credit where credit's due. Okay. Uh, because that is, I mean, that's just another case where, yeah, out of the box, or at least by adding on the, you know, a great ad blocker to it. Um, iPhones are very secure little devices out of the gate in a very real way. And now even more so as we find out the amount of things that, inadvertently, not really by design, but that ad blocking software is really protecting you from. It's remarkable. It, it, it's, it's great. I mean, so many of these, and look, you know, like with CoinHive, I get the argument, well, this could keep us from having to run those ads and all this stuff. Yeah, but it's not a perfect technology in the abstract. It might be a good idea, but we got to get to that abstract place where it really looks like a good idea. And I'm sure that it's happening. I'm sure it's being tested. There's probably a lot of areas I mean, CoinHive is probably, you know, not once that kind of Pandora's box is open, you're never going to close it again. And there's probably a bunch of different miners for various things um, running now. And like I said, in the abstract, it may not be a terrible thing. Okay. But it can be, it can be abused. And honestly, they, the, the one way for it to be guaranteed that it's not a terrible thing is that a website needs to, you know, if they have the ability to bring these big drop downs on the front of a website, okay, uh, before you even see what's on the website, they should be telling you, hey, our website is funded by, um, by mining, by a mining script, a cryptocurrency mining script on this website. And then you can choose whether or not you wish to continue. Okay. Uh, you know, but again, running an ad, ad block software solves the problem. It is so essential. If you haven't done it yet, please run an ad blocking software. And 
Like I've said before, if somebody gives you the argument or if you personally think that, well, but, you know, somebody's somehow we got to fund these journalistic institutions. we got to fund these websites. we got to fund this project. If it's because I have to see a few ads, that's fine with me. Look, how these people make money, how these companies and websites and whatever else make money, that is their problem to solve, not yours. Your job as a digital, for lack of a better term, as a digital citizen is to be as secure and as locked down as fucking possible okay and right now more so than ever running ad blocking uh you know an ad block extension or add-on or whatever is essential to you having that kind of security the more everybody's secure and doing security best cybersecurity best practices on their devices okay the more secure we all are that's why this is so important so i thought that that was a you know fascinating research to to, to find that out um, but it's stoppable And now, you know, again, the more we find out about how much like websites are doing and all that, it's amazing how now it sounds like, like these arguments for, oh, don't run an ad blocker. We can't collect it or, you know, we can't serve you ads or something. Now you start to wonder, wait a minute, is there a little bit more going on there? It's not just about ads, is it? It's about you're, you're getting all kinds of metadata and metrics about me and that's not okay. So anyway, um, let's move on to another story here. Uh, oh boy. Talk about things that are, that are not okay. Uh, well, you know what? Okay. I, I'm going to save the, the, the last bit for, for last, um, because I think it's going to end up being a rather large, uh, subject. So let's punch up. Uh, this is interesting about Google docs and it actually kind of reminds me of a, a meme that I saw recently too. So just checking the time, (laughs) since I can't see it on the screen of my computer, I have to look at the timer on my actual H1 recording microphone. So if there's a, you know, a quick pause, that's what's happening. But uh, anyway, this was an interesting story from Mashable that I want to get into. Uh, Google is locking people out of documents and you should be worried. So what's going on here? I'm going to read a little bit from this and then I want to talk about it. Uh, It turns out that your private documents can be censored online. This morning, a ton of users reported being locked out of completely innocuous Google Docs for quote-unquote inappropriate content. Google's abuse policy prohibits the posting of serious threats, needlessly graphic or violent content, hate speech, harassment, confidential information, pornography, and anything illegal including exploitation and copyrighted content. Now, staying breaking in for a second here, yeah, I, I actually, I, I'll admit it, I didn't know that. I didn't know that pornography is not allowed to be stored on Google Docs. Um, I should be blocked out <laughs> because that's all I fucking write is <laughs> erotica and, 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 and porn. I mean, that's all I'm interested in. So, ooh, <laughs> that, hey, where, you know, where's the, free spe- where, where, where's the free speech crowd? Where's the free speech, free speech crowd, uh, you know, to, to, to take a stand against this? I don't see them anywhere. Where the fuck are they? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. They're worried about Marxists instead of Google. I don't understand it, but whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's read on. Today, however, multiple users believe that the content they were locked out of did not contain prohibited material. National Geographic reporter Rachel Bale, who was locked out of a draft of a story about wildlife crime, claims that nothing in her document violated Google's policies. Quote, it's about legal but ethically dubious activity, end quote, she tweeted. Um, and here it's, it says, has anyone had Google Docs locked you up uh, out of Doc before? My draft of a story about a wildlife crime was just frozen for violating their terms of service. 
So reading on a little bit, a Google spokesperson claims that the lockouts were an error and that the company has fixed the problem. Quote, this morning we made a code push that incorrectly flagged a small percentage of Google Docs as abusive, which caused those documents to be automatically blocked, uh, end quote. Or let's see, let's read out. A fix is in place and all users should have access to their docs. Google added, we apologize for the disruption and will put processes in place to prevent this from happening again, end quote. Still, the incident raises important questions about the control Google Docs users have over their own content. The potential to lose access to an important document because it hasn't yet been published or polished uh, to remove or polished to remove hasn't yet, but whatever. Uh, certain pre- certain references or sensitive material is, is concrete implications for the way Google Docs is used. For many who work in media and communications, Google Docs serves as a drafting tool, allowing uh, writers and editors to collaborate. And of course, it is necessary and important for writers to retain ownership of documents that are early versions of their final product, no matter how raw. So as to put a so as to put a complete draft through the edit- editorial process. Nobody should be writing hate speech or death threats in their Google Docs or anywhere. But if Google Google's flagging system is so glitchy as to incorrectly target other content. A Google Docs user on a deadline needs to be on their toes. Um, and then that the writer from National Geographic, uh, Rachel Bale, she uh, tweeted that she no longer plans to use uh, to write in Google Docs. Um, then there was there was an update on November seventh. Uh, which had to do with the fact that, you know, Google came out and said, oh, no, 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 it's all a mistake. It was all a fuck up, blah, 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 blah. We, you know, we didn't really mean it. Uh, we're so sorry, et cetera, which is usually usually the answer that you get when, when they get caught in the act. Uh, in fact, we're going to talk more about Google getting caught in the act during our main story, or actually I think it'll be during HackSec um, this week. But I want to talk about this for a minute, okay? Because... Th- <sighs> With Google Docs, so, you know, this this is the argument that has been made ever since, you know, ever since the concept of the cloud uh, came into being. Now, understand, let's define what the cloud is, okay? The cloud is, the, it's, it's the internet, yes, but the cloud is running software effectively on the internet. And what I mean is software is like a word processor, like Google Docs. Um, or, you know, whatever, whatever, even an entire operating system. Um, but it's specifically you storing personal files, your personal work that you've done on a computer, in this case, cloud computing, and, you know, and, and you're running the software in the cloud, okay? Uh, like Office Online would be the cloud as to where, you know, just using Microsoft Office 2016 on your computer would not be the cloud. Okay. And yeah, documents can get stored in the cloud. Uh, again, that's, that's the difference. The cloud is the internet, but it's also like kind of a very separate thing in that it's the storage of things that you would storage and use of software, um, storage of, of, of files and data and the use of software that you would normally have, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago would have just kept on your PC. Okay. The cloud is not websites. The cloud is not, you know, a lot of web, uh, well, it can be some services, but it's not all these like web services and everything like Amazon, the website, Amazon, the store. Okay. You know, the everything store that is Amazon, not AWS, not any of that shit. Okay. That's the internet. That is not the cloud. However, AWS, like the storage of all this stuff. Sure. That's kind of the cloud. Uh, you know, and again, things like Google docs and a lot of, you know, what Google has, that's, that's the cloud. Okay. So you got, you have to keep that in mind. Um, and this is the problem that, 
you know, has been highlighted for a while of, of the issues kind of with uh, the cloud. And actually, this will sort of speak to net neutrality, I think, in, in some ways as well. The concern with the cloud that I've made over and over again is that you can lose control. You know, you are handing over control of, say, your latest story about some wildlife crime or something. You are handing over control of that, in my opinion, unnecessarily, especially when it comes down to, like, you know, stories, you know, text files, effectively, that you're writing. You are handing all of that over uh, to these companies, to Google, to Microsoft, to Dropbox, to, uh, you know, take your, take your pick of the company, Box, whatever, okay? Um, you are handing all of that over to them. And I think that that, you know, I, and I've warned, I've said, you know, would you would you really allow for that? I mean, like there's the meme that goes around, which is, um, you know, there's no such thing as the cloud. It's just somebody else's computer. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And so think about it. If what you're writing in Google Docs, is that something you would just let somebody else look at? Is that something you would do on somebody else's computer? And if the answer is no then I don't think you should be doing it in the cloud. I don't think you should be doing it in Google Docs. Like, I mean, I had no idea that it broke the terms of service to write fucking pornography on Google Docs. I had no idea. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to, you know, write. I mean, and I've done it at points in the past, uh, again, because of what's the advantage of Google Docs is that shareability. Um, I've done it where, yeah, I've, I've written, uh, you know, I've, I've written porn, uh, you know, effectively on within that. And... I guess, thankfully, it hasn't been taken down, but wow, you know, again, you, you have no clue. And, and that's the thing. And also, you know, the, the rules could change um, at any given time, quite frankly. Like, I, I mean, you know, Google could say, well, all right, yeah, this was okay last week, but now it's no longer okay. And that's a real concern. Um, and, you know, look, I, I just... When you are storing so much of this stuff in the cloud, I mean, you're, you're imprisoning your creative work. You know, it's not really, you, you don't really have control once you do that. And you know, how far do you go with this? You could say, well, what if Intel locks you out of your computer using their management engine? What if they do this? What? If, yeah, okay, we can go to all those extremes or whatever, or we can talk about what's actually happened, what's provable, and what's right in front of our face. And that is, is that Google Docs, and they can, they can claim it's a bug all they want. You know, there's a, I'm not going to talk about it during, during game talk, uh, but what was it? Bungie who, who they have that very popular, uh, MMO game, uh, destiny two, right. Where come to find out they had this entire algorithm running, uh, in the game that would on the fly adjust, uh, like experience points that you can earn and all this stuff. And so it wasn't actually fair, like how well you did in the game destiny two, uh, did not directly correlate to the experience points you would earn and stuff like this because they're trying to they're trying to game the game they're trying to keep it a little more fair a little more even and all this stuff suddenly somebody finds out that this is the case and Bungie comes out and says oh yep it's true all right we're turning it off and that's the thing is that all of the I mean even if something you would think is innocuous as Bungie running Destiny two and generally I like Bungie as a company I mean fuck they came up with Halo okay but you know all things you would think would be so innocuous. No, you know, they're, they're playing games with what you've got. And, and when, and when you find out that they're finally doing it, they're just like, Oh yes, sorry. I will turn it off. And they don't, you know, and, and that's it. And I think that's exactly what happened here. Um, I think this is, you know, I think Google just said, Oh shit. Yeah. Well, we were testing. I mean, probably what was happening was Google was testing out a new algorithm to, to look for this kind of shit. And the algorithm, you know, went a little too far. 
you know, it just went a little too far. And, and then, and they got found out and says, Oh no. All right. We fixed it. And they just turned off the algorithm or something. It's horseshit that it's a bug. I have a very hard time believing that that, that was just some, some kind of bug. Um, so yeah, Google docs, I wouldn't recommend using it. Uh, this is the importance of open source software. Yeah, go ahead. Use LibreOffice. You use something else. Use something local on your machine. For fuck's sake, it, it, it's just it's just text files. If you want to store them in the cloud, fine. You know, do a backup or whatever. Back it up to OneDrive or Dropbox or you know, you name it. But oh man, I would I be? I mean, this if you're like a if you're writing novels, which you'd say, who the hell writes novels in Google Docs? A lot of people do. Okay. You know, try to keep some fucking control of your, you know, of, of what you're doing. Really. Go ahead. Go for the local copies. It's okay. Um, I mean, it, this this is a real, it, and it speaks to so much. You know, I had a lot of people actually write into me this week. And they were saying, hey, could you talk about net neutrality? What, you know, what's your take on net neutrality? What do, what do you think is going, going on with all this? Uh, before I get into that, I I want to talk about, I want to talk about another very hot story that happened. And then I will give you, you know, my opinion um, on what's happening with, with net neutrality because the topics come back up. Um, what is it? Uh, Ajit Pai, is that his name? Who's the presently the chairman of the SEC under uh, President Trump? Um, he, you know, he, they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to repeal, um, you know, we're going to repeal net neutrality. Fuck it, we're done. Um, well, let's, let's, let's read this. Uh, this is from Mashable, and actually there's not a lot to read. Twitter to neo-Nazis. You have until December 18th. And what is effectively going to happen here is that uh, Twitter came out, uh, you know, their, their, their CEO came right out and said, hey, come December 18th, uh, if you are posting, like, hate speech or even uh, hateful images or symbols, things like this, and it's not just neo-Nazis, but it's kind of any group, um, we're going to shut down your accounts, you know, and, and you've got, you have until December 18th to get, to get off of there, get all your stuff off of there, whatever, you know, you're, you're really, your, your days are over. And apparently the, so you could say, because this was announced, um, this is announced specifically uh, just a few days ago. And so it's like, well, why are they waiting 30 days? Yeah. It was like November 17th that they announced it. And they said, you know, and, every, and myself included, well, like, wait, why are they waiting for 30 days? Why aren't they just starting to kick them off? And it has to do with uh, there's a month long wait, month long wait is due to regulations in the European Union that require companies to inform users of a new policy change 30 days prior uh, to enforcement. So that's why there's a December, uh, uh, you know, 18th date. Now, what are my thoughts on this? You know, how do I feel about, uh, you know, Jack coming out and saying, you know, Jack Dorsey coming out and saying, hey, uh, you know, neo-Nazis, you're done. Like, is this a real problem? Should I be concerned about free speech? Blah, 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 blah. No, I, I mean, my first, honestly, my first reaction was why wait? Now, I mean, I know why now, but why wait? Just start kicking the fuckers off, get it done. Yeah. Let, let them go. And you know what? I can imagine the sovereign tech audience saying, what the hell is, what is the stallion thinking? What do you mean? How dare you? We have to, even for the people that we disagree with, we have to stand up for their rights. All right. First off, Twitter's not a fucking right. First off. Second off, and look, I I, I hate this answer too. Okay. 
it, it's a fact, but I hate this answer too. And, and it's so funny about when it gets used and when it doesn't get used. Right. But depending upon, upon who's, you know, if it was a bunch of liberals getting kicked off, then I guarantee you that you'd have all the conservatives and, and a lot of libertarians and everybody saying, well, Hey, a company has a right to do that. So, you know, good riddance lefties. I mean, I guarantee that's what they would say. Uh, but if it's, if it's, you know, right leaning people, getting kicked off then it's oh, how dare they do this blah 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 you know as and, and you know as to where wait a minute i thought these companies had the right to do that do they or do they not right they do okay regardless that's not my argument okay here's the thing is that if you are i mean i i, I don't think it's unfair and if I, for some reason, have neo-Nazis listening to the sound of my voice, if you want to email me at bbs at sovereigntech.com and correct me, you are welcome to, okay? Um, as I understand it, neo-Nazis are kind of revolutionaries, right? You're activists, you're, you have a goal, you're out there, you're trying to push the message uh, of the great white race, you know, you're trying to trying to make sure that uh, that you know my people, the Jews, uh, you know, get out of positions of power and and all of that. And you you know you want to I don't know maybe off a bunch of people, you know, whatever whatever you, you know you imagine. I don't know, um, or I, well, I kind of know, but I guess everybody's an individual, huh? Uh, here's the thing: is that if you are trying to if you are engaging in some kind of revolution, peaceful or violent or whatever. If you are engaging in some kind of revolution, if you are using Twitter or Facebook or any kind of major social media site for your revolution, what the fuck is wrong with you? How do you think that, that, that these services are of any use to you? If you're trying to like organize and all that stuff, are you serious? You're not using Signal? You're dumber than I thought. Like, this doesn't even make sense. These aren't even, if you are really trying to go for revolutionary actions, these platforms aren't even worth your fucking salt. They're not worth your time. No revolution is going to, and you, and you could say Arab Spring, guess what? That was uh, however many years ago, that time is done. You have a million algorithms that are going to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. And there's even a lot of debate about how the hell that even happened. I mean, it's arguable that 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 social media even really if, even genuinely helped with that. Okay, but I'm not going to get into the realm of conspiracy. Okay, but here's the thing: if you want, yeah, I don't know what, what's the old Beatles song. If you want to start a revolution, well, you know, Twitter is not the place to go. Neither is Facebook. Neither is Google Plus. Neither, I don't know, if I can list them all off, none of those places are where it's going to happen. And this is a point I've made over and over and over and over again. The reason that all of these fucking groups of, of racists and violent people and whatever else, okay, uh, the reason that they want to be on these platforms is because they want to advertise. It's not because they give a rat's fucking shit about free speech. Because I guarantee they don't care if, I mean, what are they going to do if, if, if some Jew is standing in the middle of somewhere and, I don't know, starts saying, hey, you know, let me live. Uh, do you think that's going to happen? Probably not. They're not in, I mean, if you're, if, this is the funny thing. Like, the argument for free speech is, an, is kind of an argument for, uh, you know, live and let live in a very real sense. Well, most of the people that are yelling for free speech do not have the ethos of live and let live. They do not have that, uh, uh, you know, that ethic they're doing quite the opposite. No, let's toss you out of helicopters. No, let's put you behind walls. No, let's put you behind bars. No, let's do this. I mean, it, like the, it, it's, it's madness. 
Look, I, I'm not, remove neo-Nazi. Let's change the group. Let's say it's, um, I don't know, the sovereign tech cabal or something, okay, which would be obviously, I'm not saying that exists. I'm just saying like that would obviously be a very, very peaceful movement that maybe was trying to do something in the world or something like that. Do you think the sovereign tech cabal that's actually trying to create some kind of change would use Twitter or Facebook to create that change? No, of course not. I'll tell you what I would be telling, you know, what I'd be having, quote unquote, my people use. Okay, we would be, we'd be using Signal, we'd be using PGP. If you're actually trying to do a revolution, you don't let people know. This is all so fucking dumb. Like, consider this a good thing because all of these, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all the social media, all it does is it ensnares you. It's flypaper that keeps you from getting anywhere and from achieving anything. I am really to the point, I am to the point that I think, and this has nothing even to do with neo-Nazis, this has to do with the most, you know, most, most banal business you can imagine. I am to the point, I think that all of this, oh yeah, well, you want to make, you know, on social media, you want to make five posts a day, one of them is personal, three of them are about a product, one is about this, well, do, do you know who's telling you to do that? The fucking social media companies, the marketing companies, the companies that Make money off of you using the service, not because it's actually what makes you money as a business or individual. Really, I think all of this social media stuff, it's a fucking scam. And it's being perpetuated by digital influencers, online influencers, social media influencers, and social media companies themselves. The best thing that could happen to humanity Neo-Nazis or not, right now, okay, for anybody that wants any kind of change in their life is to get the fuck off of social media. I would consider it myself, I would consider it a goddamn blessing if Facebook banned my account, or if Twitter banned my account, or whoever banned me across the board. Say, I mean, just, just bring it down from on high. The Golden Stallion is not allowed on social media. For one, that would give me some great press. For two... I would be able to get so much more done because even I fall into it. I fall into the, the, the stupid fucking petty arguments uh, that happen on social media or, or thinking, you know, for, for, I, I have moments of weakness, I guess, where I think that me sharing something on there actually means a goddamn thing when it doesn't. I mean, it means something to, I know to, to the sovereign tech listeners who I love you. And, you know, we, we have a, a great time online sometimes and all that. I know it means something to you, but I'm saying to like, to try and grow for growth or, uh, you know, to, to, to put out there and maybe convince some people of what's going on. None of that shit works. Social media doesn't do a God. It just doesn't do a thing. And the way the algorithms are set up, it just, it, 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 I mean, and everybody knows this, it just keeps reinforcing your own worldview. You're not experiencing anything new. You're not going to convince anybody. You're not reaching out to anybody. And the way that, uh, and, and I don't, I think I talked about this on the, I'm not sure where I talked about this. Maybe it was in, maybe it was personally with some people or maybe it was on the Relationship Rhombus show or it was on some Patreon show or something. Like, I really, I think, like Facebook in particular, I think I don't even think Mark Zuckerberg can control Facebook anymore. I think Facebook has turned into, especially when you find out everything that's been going on with the election, you find out about these shadow posts and all this different shit. I think it's a beast that cannot be tamed. I mean, it can be tamed by not using it anymore. But other than that, like as far as controlling it, like I think, I, I don't think that the companies themselves, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, I don't think they can control their own creations anymore. 
They really can't. I mean, they, they can, you know, they, they can play games with it and they can try to get people elected, you know, by using it or something like that. And look, I'm not blaming the Russians, okay? I don't live in, as much as I'd love to, I don't live in the 1980s where everything gets blamed on the Russians. It's fucking bullshit, okay? I'm just saying that, yeah, some of these companies can game things to a certain degree of what happens on there, but in a million ways, um, they, they've lost complete control. This week, I made a post about uh, the guy, the, the, the director of uh, a Toy Story and who's one of like the head uh, creative guys at Disney, how he's taking a leave of absence now because uh, there have been accusations against him with uh, fairly substantial proof that he was engaging in uh, uh, you know, degrees of sexual abuse, shall we say. I'll put it that way. And, you know, I made a post about it and somehow like my average Facebook post and I don't post on there like, like that much. Okay. But my average post on there, if I'm lucky, I get 20, you know, likes or 20, you know, reacts, I guess I'll say maybe sometimes 30. I've gotten some, maybe it was like 50 or 60, but like out of nowhere, like randomly, I have no idea. I, I, and I, and I challenge and look, I've worked. For, for marketing companies. I, it's my business to know how these things work, and I can't explain this. Somehow, out of nowhere, me sharing that story on my, yep, it's a public account, blah, 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 and this has happened before, and I've talked about it before with some other stories. Somehow, somebody just happens to see it, and it's not because somebody shared it. Just suddenly a bunch of weird people start seeing it that are not friends at all. They have no mutual friends. There should be no connection whatsoever, and I end up with like 200, 300 likes on this thing. And, and it's just, it's completely fucking random. And that's what I'm saying is that like, like all the social media, it's, it's totally, it's out of the control of the companies themselves. Even they don't know how to exactly game their system or how people are gaming it. They don't know. And they're collecting all this data and they still don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I don't think it's a worthwhile venture. You know what, you know what got sovereign tech off the ground? The fact that I was on radio. National Public Radio. I was on Free Talk Live. I was a host for two years. Okay, that got that is what helped Sovereign Tech, you know, get started off. After that, to some degree, I think it was other people talking about it, you know, whatever. And I mean, and there were some other things. But bottom line being is that it it really wasn't social media. If anything, it was me like talking at at Bitcoin conferences and people jumping on it with that. I mean, yeah, maybe when when somebody shares it and, and it gets shared with your friends or something. Uh, that's fine. But that's the thing is that for it to really work, you've got to get other people, you know, to share your shit. You can't share it yourself. That's why I'm, that's where I'm saying it's kind of useless. Okay. It, it's just, it, it's all, it's all so maddening. People will get so much more done. Again, it should be seen as, as, a, as one of Satan's blessings if you get banned off of these things, because your life is just going to improve immensely. And if you're trying to do actual revolutionary shit, peaceful or otherwise, and hopefully it's all peaceful, but if you're trying to, you are not going to use these platforms for that. You're just not. I don't, I'm not even going to take you seriously. That's that. I mean, that, that's, that's my opinion on it. You know, and, and this gets into the whole thing with net neutrality, with Twitter saying, well, we're, you know, we're going to ban neo-Nazis and whatever other hate groups or something like that on December 18th, starting December 18th, however that ends up shaping up. Okay. Um, you know, with, with net neutrality, when you start talking about, well, like, th- like the debate is, all right, we got to have an open internet, you know, and, and the only way we can do that is if it's Title II and if it's available, you know, to everybody at a, at a low cost, so that way everybody can take advantage of how the internet improves uh, life. And look, it's true. To some degree, the internet really, you know, or not to some degree, in a very real degree, in a million ways that we're still not able to calculate because... 
let's be clear here, the Internet as we know it, and certainly the mass use of the Internet, I always chalked that up to about 2003 when it finally became where everybody was using the Internet. Um, for the previous 10 years, it was more of a hobby thing for a lot of people. You know, like what did they call them, webheads? Right? When you were first on the Internet, really, that was the term. They'd call you a webhead. It's just crazy. Okay? Now nobody, everybody's a webhead, I guess. But anyway, it wasn't until 2003 um, that that was, that was necessarily a thing. So, yeah, they, they either have to, you know, like we got to keep it low cost. we got to keep it available to everybody. And then the other side of the argument, I guess, pretty much with net neutral, and I'm being very basic here. The other side of the argument is, hey, look, you know, the Internet was fine. You know, before there was no regulation or more or less no regulation on the Internet until like 2015. And the Internet was doing just fine before then. Um, why do you know, why does this need, uh, you know, why does net neutrality need to happen now? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I mean, there, there's here's 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 kind of here, here's a bit of a problem with, with all this. OK. And, you know, the concern is that, you know, ISPs, Comcast, AT&T, whoever, Okay, that the ISPs are going to start charging these just crazy sums of money uh, to get Internet access, and they're going to create these fast lane Internets. Uh, yeah, I guess I can use the plural, uh, you know, and, and, and all of this shit, right? That, that that's, that's what's going to get chalked up um, out of this. And I think both sides are right, and both sides are also wrong, bottom line, Okay. I mean, I, I think the argument that, well, this wasn't a big deal, or, you know, why is this only a big deal now? The Internet's been fine up until this point. Well, that's the Internet before everybody had fucking Netflix. And I mean fucking everybody had Netflix. You know, I'm amazed at some of the, uh, you know, people I talk to, like in the ages of the people and whatever else that I talk to where, oh, yeah, I was watching that on Netflix. I have Netflix. I mean, just how many people have Netflix? All right. And, and, and this, you know, this is where kind of the argument comes around is that, well, okay, you know, we're pushing, the ISPs are saying we're pushing this much data, blah, 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 blah. You know, we, we have to push all this video and everything. Um, you know, we, we can't afford to do this with present prices. Not that even when, even when they made the Internet Title II, okay, on, you know, when Tom Wheeler did this, uh, not that they even did anything about, the, about price controls. They didn't. Okay, which allowed for these companies to engage in zero rating and a bunch of other stuff that that really made. I mean, you know, we talked about net neutrality back when it was first, you know, a hot thing in 2015. And I said at the time, I was like, you, you know, they're they're not allowing for for any uh, any freedom of the last mile, which is the ISP to the house, and which means that like you know, competitive companies couldn't move in, and they weren't doing anything about price controls. So like the two main things that Title II should have done something about. We're kind of meaningless. I really, I think this whole argument is fucking, is, there. this whole debate is some kind of weird, I don't, it doesn't make sense. Because what, what, largely, as I understand it, what was done under the Title II, because it was only a partial Title II, right? Because, again, they, they didn't, they didn't do anything about the last mile, and they didn't necessarily do anything about, about price controls, Okay. You know, it, it didn't really hurt the the ISPs where I think the people that are for net neutrality were it was hurting them. Um, it didn't. It really. It just. It didn't make the the whole thing just doesn't make a whole ton of sense. But let me boil it down to you, okay? The pro, the real thing going on here is, and I and I know this is really extreme, and I'm just going to put it out there. Look, the internet's the problem. It's not that, well, the ISPs are doing this and, oh, we got to make sure this stays open for everything or whatever. I mean, when you, you know, when you read so many of the stories that we talk about how, you know, 
Princeton, Princeton researchers find that, you know, you have 400 sites that are tracking things. Or you have uh, Twitter is going to shut down users and all this stuff. I mean, A, you would think a properly done, or at least, you know, according to security researchers, and, and to allow for uh, you to have your, shall we say, your human liberties intact, like privacy and some other things, okay, uh, you know, things you would have baked in is to where you couldn't exactly get shut down. Or where things couldn't track you. And all of this. But the Internet allows for that because the Internet is doing things however, however you want to count the decades of the Internet. It's doing things that it was never meant to do. And it's remarkable that it's so adaptable and, been a, and you've been able to, you know, people have been able to pile so many different things on top of the Internet or even just on top of the World Wide Web or whatever. And it's an incredible thing. And I'm not saying this to insult the concept of the Internet or the concept of, of TCP IP or, uh, you know, HTTP and, and the World Wide Web and, and even, you know, SMTP you know, with email or Usenet or and I'm certainly not making fun of Usenet, uh, you know, or anything like that. I'm not ripping on them. But look. Maybe the problem is that the internet sucks. Like that the the way the whole infrastructure is designed, it's shit. It's not conducive to what humans want to do on it. I am so, listen to me, I am so on board. You have to understand, I am so on board with everybody saying, you know, both sides are arguing, look, if we don't, if... Either if we don't, if we don't get rid of net neutrality or if we keep net neutrality. Both sides are saying... If we don't do our side, the Internet's going to be destroyed. I think either way you go, the Internet's going to be destroyed. I'm okay with that. Let it burn. Peacefully. Bring up the next thing. We talked, this has been a message on Sovereign Tech for years. Okay? We need, I mean, let's, let's get into mesh networking. We're going to talk about that in a minute because it's happening. Okay? Let the big bad internet die. Let it go. That's where all of these problems stem from, is because the actual decentralized infrastructure, the centralized nature of the fucking internet is creating these problems. That's why I say both sides are right, and yet both sides are also wrong. Because they're missing the point. The real they're not striking the root. That maybe the way that this this whole interconnectivity is working, you know, with the internet, like, or you know, maybe, maybe the way that it's designed, the server-based structure and all this different stuff, maybe that's the real problem, and we need to do something about that. And there are people working on it. I mean, it, it, it's crazy, you know. In fact, uh, uh, somebody shared with me something that I shared, and actually, it was a story, a uh, blog post, in fact, um, that I had read on Sovereign Tech. I don't know, maybe it was two years ago, something like that. Uh, but somebody reminded me of it, and there was a great analogy for for the internet at the time. And I think that this also fits in with social media, which, which you know, talking about both things, the internet and social media, okay? And the analogy was ancient Rome. And in ancient Rome, you had, I mean, I wish I could have said I came up with this, but I didn't. But it's it's, I think it's perfect. In ancient Rome, when they came up with the aqueduct system, okay, when you when they came up with effectively, I mean, they weren't the first ones. The Egyptians had a degree of it too, okay. But when they when the Romans came up with plumbing, when the aristocrats of Rome had you know came up with plumbing and, and the water from the mountain and all you know all this different shit, okay, that they they put together, and it was all lead pipes. Now I don't think that I have to go into into you know a huge scientific explanation of what lead does to the human body and brain. Most of us know. This amazing, dare I say, civilizing, and I, I use that in quotes, civilizing, advancing, 
technology of plumbing, of, you know, lead pipes, trans transporting water changed the game in Rome. It was remarkable. I mean, and, and, and literally it, and it, it's, it's not unfair to say that the aristocrats and anybody that had access to it said, Oh, the future is here. This is it. We've made it. We are the, we are the bees knees. We are the hot stuff. When that same technology and water was important at the time. Understand that that's, there's no bullshit. There's no exaggeration. Just how, 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 uh, 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 you know, futuristic they must have felt. That same new technology with lead pipes was literally driving them insane. It was, it was, it was killing them. It was driving them nuts. And so I put it to you. Is a lot of this, you know, social media and the internet infrastructure as we are the way that it, that it, uh, you know, the abstract way that it functions now and all this, is that the same deal? Oh, this is the future. Oh, this is amazing. Look at all the stuff that it's powering. Look what it allows us to do and, all, and, you know, all the glories we get to enjoy, blah, blah, blah. But it's driving us nuts. And it's creating bullshit uh, 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 arguments, fights, debates, all of that. Net neutrality, neo-Nazis on Twitter, whatever. I put it to you. You tell me if you think that that's what's going on. I wonder... I sure as hell know that the internet as it stands today should not, I mean, like this cannot continue to exist. The, the, the way, the things that people are trying to do with the internet and all that, so many of the challenges that people are running into, uh, say, like in, even in the blockchain space and a lot of more forward thinking uh, um, aspects of, you know, computer science and technology, like, you know, the internet as is, 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 Often it, it's not, yeah, it's empowering. Okay, great. It empowers, you know, Foursquare or Uber or something. All right. But it's not actually empowering, you know, kind of the next leap. Where do we go next? Where does humanity evolve to next? Where does, where, where does technology go uh, to the next level and all that? The internet, as we understand it, may be a hindrance and people aren't even thinking about it that way. They're not considering, wait a minute, what the problem is? Fucking internet. And I'm not saying let's go back to the Stone Ages. Look, look, the, the opposite of not using the Internet as we know it now is not going to the Amish. The opposite could be, you know, mesh networking, setting up, you know, multiple Internets, literal, plural, multiple Internets that have different functions and that are more tailor made uh, and, and all, all kinds of stuff like that. That peer to peer future that everybody gets excited about. Well, let's get to it. We got a centralizing force that's in the fucking way, and it's causing people to, to argue about bullshit like net neutrality. All right, I've been flapping my app for, for an hour now. <laughs> so <laughs> let's break it up. Because um, yeah, there's a main story that I want to get into that I really think is, uh, is absolutely fascinating. So if you want to get interested, say, in that peer-to-peer future that I mentioned, one way of going about that would be jumping on board with a Sovereign Tech sponsor that I am so proud to have on board, which is Zencash. And you want to go to their website, zensystem.io. Now, let's be clear here that Zencash is really Zen. It's an entire, pl- it's Zen, that's the name of it. It's an entire platform. And Zen is all about, I mean, there's communications. You know, we're talking about, well, how do you get into these like uncensorable communications and all this stuff? Well, you could use Zen uh, to send those communications. I mean, you wouldn't want to use it like Facebook Messenger or something, but you could send private 
you know, anonymous communications. Um, if you want to send money, uh, money in an, in an encrypted, anonymous fashion, okay, uh, you know, all of this using the some of the latest breakthroughs in cryptography, like zero knowledge proofs. Yeah, you could use Zencash to do that. Right there are you have so many options when it comes to because again this is going to be this is already and it's going to be an entire platform. This is such an exciting de- uh, technology that's getting developed. You want to check out. You want to get on board with Zen. Go to ZenSystem.io. This is I mean and I, I you know I was interviewing uh, Rob Viglione on the show and we were talking about things and he said oh yeah he says like you know Zen can evolve like it, it can take advantage of of technologies even beyond blockchain. I mean this is really exciting stuff. This is the kind of forward thinking stuff that excites the hell out of me uh, as compared to the boring things like, oh, net neutrality, blah, 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 skirt it, skirt it all, or how Twitter's banning people, skirt everything. Jump on board with the technologies that you have actual control over and that you can be a part of and contribute to, and one of those is Zen. So go to zensystem.io, and I thank them so much for being a sponsor of Sovereign Tech. Now, I'm serious. I, like, I get excited. When I hear about technologies like that, like Zen, uh, you know, Zencash and, you know, and everything. I mean, it, it's just, it's so cool. Uh, and, you know, again, kudos to them for, for getting a nice little mention, uh, inadvertent in a way, I guess, but, a, you know, a nice mention in um, in TechCrunch. So, okay, let's move on to uh, to another story here. And this is, this is one, well, you know, I, I don't get to do this too often, okay, where where I get to talk about some good news. But it proves the point that I just described. So hopefully everybody's still listening and they don't think I'm insane because I think that this this proves just how exactly you could go about. How do you get to? I know I keep coming up with new post terms, you know, like as as a, as a prefix, post whatever, post Snowden. Well, I didn't come up with that, but post Snowden, post blockchain, post whatever, post serial. I don't know. Uh, but how about post internet? Again, that doesn't mean you're not interconnected. That doesn't mean you can't talk to anybody instantaneously around the world or something like that. But maybe getting beyond the infrastructure that we're presently using, I think that's a very laudable goal to, to, look, uh, to look forward to. And I think this is kind of an example of how, how that can, in a way, how that can happen or how it can start to happen. This story is from Motherboard. Uh, ignored by big telecom, Detroit's marginalized communities are building their own Internet. Woo, baby! That! That is what the Golden Stallion likes to hear is going on. Um, the, the byline here, 40% of Detroit residents don't have any access to Internet at all. So reading the story, being, uh, being stuck without access to the Internet is often thought of as a problem only for rural America. But even in some of America's biggest cities, a significant portion of the population can't get online. Take Detroit, where 40% of the population has no access to the Internet of any kind, not only high speed. At home, according to the federal, uh, and that's according to the Federal Communications Commission, 70% of school-age children in the city are among those who have no internet access at home. Detroit has one of the most severe digital divides in the country, the FCC says. Quote, when you kind of think about all the ways the internet affects your life and how 40% of people in Detroit don't have access, you can start to see how Detroit has been stuck in this economic disparity for such a long time. And quote, Diana Nisera, a director of the Detroit Community Technology Project, told me at her office. Nisera is part of a growing is part of a growing cohort of Detroiters who have started a grassroots movement to close that gap by building the internet themselves. It's a coalition of community members and multiple Detroit nonprofits. They're they're starting with three underserved neighborhoods installing high-speed internet that beams shared gigabit connections from an antenna on top of the tallest building on the street and into the homes of the people who have long gone without. They call it the Equitable Internet Initiative. 
The issue isn't only cost, though it is prohibitive for many Detroiters, but also uh, it's even though that is the cost is prohibitive for many Detroiters, uh, but also infrastructure. Because of Detroit's economic woes, many big telecom companies haven't thought it worthwhile to invest in expanding their network to these communities. Uh, New Sarah told me the city is filled with here's a key term that I haven't talked about in a while on Sovereign Tech. The city is filled with dark fiber optic cables that's not connected to any homes or businesses. Relics from more optimistic days. Residents who can't afford internet uh, are on some kind of federal, uh, are on some kind of federal or city subsidy like food stamps, and students are are prioritized for the initiative. Uh, New Sarah told me so. Those are the people that they want to get on board. Uh, the whole effort started last summer with enlisting digital stewards, locals from each neighborhood who are interested in working for the nonprofit coalition, doing everything from spreading the word to teaching digital literacy to installing routers and pulling fiber. So what are they saying? Oh, we got to educate people how to do this, and then they can take it into their own hands, which is exactly what Sovereign Tech has been saying for a while. Teach the people about this technology and how to use it, and then they can use it, and they will use it. Especially if they see that, you know, some corporate shit, you know, <laughs> doesn't have an interest. And I understand, like, you know, maybe it wasn't cost effective for them to do that, but they have the dark fiber there. We'll talk about that more in a second. Many of these uh, stewards started out with little or no tech expertise, but after a 20-week-long training period, they've become experts able to install, troubleshoot, and maintain a network from end to end. They're also aiming to spread digital literacy so people can truly own the network themselves. Oh, I mean, that's like dirty talk to me, man. (laughs) Yes, own your fucking network, baby, please. Mm. All right, reading on. Quote, we want to make sure that we're not just installing all the equipment, but also educating the community, end quote, said Rita Ramirez, one of the stewards working on the project in Detroit's southwest neighborhood. One component the groups are most eager to build out is the intranet that will result from connecting so many homes, about 50 in each neighborhood, to a shared wireless connection. They are encouraging local residents to take advantage of that intranet and build shared tools like a forum an emergency communication network that is completely localized and secure. Woo! Now you're talking. Because initially they're just saying, and look, this is still fucking impressive as hell. Okay, I, I take nothing away from these people. Initially, they're just talking about, well, yeah, we're just, we're going to, we're going to take advantage of this dark fiber. Now, real quick, dark fiber is, is fiber optic cable. Okay, it's cable that has been laid out around a city or whatever in Detroit, obviously is a huge city uh, by a company and then just gets left alone or was used and ends up getting abandoned because some corporation leaves or something like that. Okay. Uh, that's, that's what dark fiber is. This shit is everywhere. And there are groups around the world that will um, appropriate, shall we say, uh, much like is happening in Detroit, uh, but for, you know, maybe maybe more more secretive, quieter means that will appropriate uh, this dark fiber and, you know, use it for themselves. So I'm kind of glad the shit's around, make no mistake, and I'm glad that the people of Detroit are taking advantage of it. Uh, but, I mean, because it's just sitting there doing nothing. Like, I mean, literally doing nothing. And, and holy shit, I, I would love to hear, go ahead, you can email me. I would love to hear how they, that dark fiber, they're using that dark fiber, that that's that's private property. They shouldn't be touching that. They don't they don't need internet, blah blah blah. Well, give me a break. Read the last bit. 
In a city that is rebuilding after a decade of economic turmoil, the Internet can no longer be a luxury for the wealthy. Detroit's renaissance won't happen without each of the city's diverse communities having access to the basic tools of modern work, education, healthcare, and communication. All of Detroit, or certainly more than 60%, needs access to the Internet, and the current structure established by Big Telecom hasn't made this an easy goal. Quote, communication is a fundamental human right, end quote, Nisera said. Quote, this is digital justice, end quote. Okay, so I don't exactly agree with Nusera, right? Like, there's there's no there's no requirement. Like, you don't have a right uh, to the internet, and I think that's probably why she uh, she said communication and not internet. Um, I'm I'm not going to go down that that road uh, whatsoever. Okay, but it is interesting to me that they were recommending saying, "Hey, so you know, you can you have this like whole intranet that everybody can connect to." Maybe you should think about setting up something with that to where you can, you know, you can have a more localized uh, and, uh, you know, and secure communication network that just people within, you know, that just one neighborhood could take advantage of. Now, why would they possibly think that that's a good idea? Because I think they know that that at the end, they have to know, you know, underneath it all. That they are at the whims, and I'm not saying this is unethical of the ISPs. I'm just saying that they are at the whims of the ISPs as to whether or not, uh, you know, what, what, I mean, they, they've been at the whims for however long. The reason that 40% of, uh, of Detroit doesn't have internet access because, you know, the ISPs didn't see any value in it. That's fine that they didn't see value in it. I'm not, I'm not arguing against that, okay? That, that's fine. But it does give you the message that, hey, if we want to be able to take advantage of this incredible technology that's out there and, av- and really available to anyone that's willing to take it, you know, that's willing to learn about it and use it, okay, that we have to control it ourselves. And I think that that sends the underlying message, let's make our own intranet. And that's just beautiful. That's exactly what you want. That way you're not beholden to the ISPs because who are the ISPs ultimately beholden to? Well, It's kind of a hybrid system, you know, it's corporatism, but, you know, they're beholden to the government. It's where if you're using your intranet and you got all this stuff, you know, interconnected and everything, I mean, you you know, you could use that for free forever. And all kinds of wild shit could be done with that. I I mean, that's that's so exciting. This is a long-time message on Sovereign Tech. We need to be building internets, not just a singular big bad internet. We need multiple internets. And the more that anybody tries to, to, tries to strangle, you know, and tries to take control of the big bad internet, as in the internet that most of us use, that, you're prob- that you downloaded this from, I assume, and whatever, unless you're listening to it on radio or pirate radio, um, which, whoo, go, <laughs> good on you. Uh, okay. Um, you know, with that, you, I mean, it's it's so exciting. We got to get away from that. We have to, we you know, have have our own, have community internets where people can actually like really get into, say, community action. None of this bullshit. Oh, would you please reshare my tweet and then uh, you know that'll save a hundred babies or something? That's ridiculous. No, to get shit done, you you need to have you you got to have like the, these more local like forums like they said and all this stuff and all kinds of cool things can happen. Um, I this is a direction that I think a lot of things really are ending up going. It's exciting that yeah okay we're going to show you how to connect to the big internet, but you're really going to, if you want to keep control you're going to want to create an intranet and I think that's a message to go across the board that if you want to have actual control of communications, you need to make it more uh, more peer to peer have more localized solutions, okay? I mean, they're pretty much creating, like, BBSs. 
is this more or less with what they're suggesting. And I think it's the right move uh, because, you know, I, I don't know how many examples I've had to give over the years, you know, be it Google Maps or wherever, where Google, you know, one of the big secrets of Google is they suck at local because centralized services suck at local. So you got to have local services. So good, fucking have that. Make an intranet. This is so cool. I mean, and they're not the first ones. There was that, I talked about it years ago. There was that town in, in Germany where, yeah, I mean, same thing. The ISP said, no, it's not worth our time to run, uh, you know, internet up to your 20 houses or something that, you know, out in West Bumfuck uh, of Germany. And so what did they do? Well, they all kind of got together and they funded it and they, they ran the internet wire up there themselves right on. Do that. But then do, you can go that extra mile and you can say, wait a minute, if we can do this, why don't we just have our own little intranet? And let's rock and roll. And I think that's exciting because I think that that's, that's how you really get to any kind of actual like technologies that are genuinely secure, uh, that really do respect, uh, you know, your, your liberties and freedoms. And is what is when you, you know, you don't hand it all over to these fucking tech giants. So I, I, I just, I thought that was a tremendous story. Um, you know, r- really exciting stuff that, that it's actually, that it's happening, that people really are building uh, multiple, like that they are building their own infrastructure, but then they're not, they're not just stopping there like, Ooh, I get to connect to Netflix. I mean, I guess we'll see what happens over the next few years as, as this, you know, project continues to roll out, but that they actually do something local, that they actually like build services that help them directly because Silicon Valley doesn't care about you. And they don't have to. I'm not saying they have to. I'm just saying that they don't. Okay? If you want to do really awesome, amazing shit, all right, with, with a lot of, you know, the, the interconnected technologies that are available today and all that, uh, believe me, nothing, nothing beats when, when it's, you know, like this really local and maybe you could even meet the people or something that, I don't know. That, that it's, yeah, I, I think that this is so wild. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. So, you know, speaking of something else, like, boy, maybe you don't have internet where you are or something like that. It might be very difficult to uh, uh, to use certain um, online services that have to do with uh, storing value and whatever else. Maybe what you want to do is get your hands on some gold and silver, maybe diversify, okay, some of your, uh, you know, your wealth, your assets, whatever. And a great way to do that, I'll tell you, go to, of course, if you don't have internet, <laughs> you can't go to their website, uh, but you can go to rrbi.co. That's that's the website that I want you to check out. Okay, it's a good idea to diversify your wealth at all times. This is a sovereign tech sponsor, a longtime sovereign tech sponsor, Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Um, they will give you precious metals at an, just an incredible price, great price, uh, and and very fast shipping. Let me tell you that. That's for sure. Uh, they're just tremendous gold, silver, platinum, palladium, whatever you want to get your hands on and whatever way you want to get your hands on them. They're even a Bitcoin preferred business. How about that? Okay. You want to do some Bitcoins on a very nice hair. We're, we're well above 8,000 now, uh, with, with Bitcoin, very exciting time, uh, for that, but maybe it's time to diversify a little bit and get your hands on some of those precious metals, uh, you know, that have done a a fairly good job, uh, shall we say? I mean, that's putting it mildly of, of storing value. Uh, and, and again, it's that nice offline cold storage. Go for it. Go to rrbi.co. That's the website and get your hookup. And I thank them for being a sponsor of Sovereign Tech. Now, whoo, let's, uh, let's get into, um, another story here. In fact, this one's, uh, well, to say, <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't, you, you know, something that worries me, I mean, it's already happened and I've talked about this, but 
you know, with, with all of the, when you find out that, oh, this thing's tracking me, oh, there was this exploit, oh, there was this leak of data, you know, to 100 million people or 300 million people, whatever, you know, their data, all their data was leaked, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, people get very, they get deadened, they get desensitized to when these things happen. And that's really a shame uh, because sadly they're not stopping, but that doesn't mean that you should just throw your hands up and, and fucking give up. Of course, maybe a great solution to a lot of this stuff would be to uh, maybe relocalize a lot of your data. That that might be a handy thing, be it doing like in Detroit, making a little intranet or, uh, you know, or not, not storing shit on Google Docs that you could get locked out from or something. Well, speaking of Google, and this is from Quartz. Uh, Google collects Android users' locations even when location services are disabled. I know what you're saying. What? <laughs> and this, you know, just, just, just out of the gate, this brings up a very old concern. And, you know, you got everything's up to your own threshold, right? Because you can get paranoid to, you know, you can be paranoid forever, okay? Everything's up to your own personal threshold. But talked about many times, you know, that the world, I have, I have an old saying, which is the world is dying, uh, uh, you know, the, wor- or the world is perishing from a lack of hardware switches. And I think that that's a fact, okay? And a hardware switch is like the on button, okay, on your, on the side of your smartphone. That's a hardware switch. You press it, turns it on, you press it again, turns it off, all right? Um, a soft switch is compared to a hard hardware switch. A soft switch is when on your on the on the touch screen of you know of your say your smartphone or whatever um, say maybe at the top you could turn on or off Wi-Fi and it's right on the touch screen and when you you press it oh yeah according to Android the the Wi-Fi is off well that's the thing according to Android it's off um, because it's a soft switch it's not a hard cutoff switch where it's literally cutting off um, the Wi-Fi you know you're you're trusting the software that it did that okay so. Anyway, uh, yeah, software, soft switches are a real problem because you never really know if it's doing what it says it's doing. Like, say, if you're on Android or something where you turn off, um, you know, the GPS, you turn off location data. Well, you know, I mean, and, and I've, I can't tell you the amount of emails that I've gotten where it said, you know, where, where the emails made the point or, you know, the person saying, well, look, come on, you know, what do you want me to do? Baking my own silicon in my backyard, you know, and, and making my own processors or something. This is crazy. You know, if, if the, if I press the off button on the Bluetooth, it's off, you know, and, and, all, and all this, I mean, I've gotten tons of emails like that. Well, guess what? Proof is in the pudding here. That's not always so. So let me read a bit of the story. Many people realize that smartphones track their locations, but what if you actively turn off location services, haven't used any apps, and haven't even inserted a carrier SIM card? Even if you take all of those precautions, phones running Android software gather data about your location and send it back to Google when they're connected to the Internet, a court's investigation has revealed. Since the beginning of 2017, so supposedly this is a fairly new thing, a new feature for Android, Android phones have been collecting the addresses of nearby cellular towers, even when location services are disabled, and sending that data back to Google. The result is that Google, the unit of Alphabet uh, behind Android, of course, kudos to Quartz for making that clear that Alphabet's now the big company, and, you know, Google is kind of under that, even though they're all still really attached. Um, Yeah, Google has access to data about individuals' locations and their movements that go far beyond a reasonable consumer expectation of privacy. 
Quartz observed the data collection uh, occur and contacted Google, which confirmed the practice. The cell tower addresses have been included in information sent to the system Google uses to manage push notifications and messages on Android phones for the past 11 months, according to a Google spokesperson. They were never used or stored, the spokesperson said, and the company is now taking steps to end the practice after being contacted by courts. By the end of November, the company said Android phones will no longer send cell tower location data to Google, at least as part of this particular service, which consumers cannot disable. So you don't even have control over this. I want to read a little bit more, but this is this is the this this speaks to what we were talking about earlier. Okay, in that, I mean, in many ways, you have to trust the company that they're actually going to do what they say they're going to do. But they're doing a million things to you that you don't even. They're collecting a million things about you that you don't even know, and it's not until you say something that they're like, "Oh, well, all right, we'll turn that off. Sorry." You know, and, and that's why, it's, I mean, at least Google didn't say, well, this is a bug. No, this was on purpose. At least they admitted they, you know, they fessed up to this one. But like with Google Docs, where they said, oh, yeah, sorry, that was just a bug. No, don't worry, we unlocked it. Everybody can access their Google Docs. It's no problem. Yeah, right. You will do things. You will set stuff up that could be seen as very anti-consumer uh, or anti-human liberties or something along those lines. And you really won't do anything about it until you get caught. I mean, this is, and, and it's the classic, you know, and I, look, I, I agree with, you know, going through life like this, you know, ask, ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Sure. But, you know, we expect better from these companies. I mean, good thing that Google changed their, their motto, you know, their motto is not don't be evil anymore. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm glad that they did that because, well, we'll, we'll talk about the nuance of this. I want to read a little bit more. Um, Quote, in January of this year, we began looking into using cell ID codes as an additional signal to further improve the speed and performance of message delivery, uh, Google uh, spokesperson said. However, we never incorporated cell ID into our network sync system, so that data was immediately discarded and we updated it to no longer request cell ID, end quote. It is not clear how cell tower addresses transmitted as a data string that identifies a specific cell tower could have been used to improve message delivery. Uh, Stallion breaking in. I completely agree with that. How the fuck? Like that, I don't even know that that makes sense. Unless they're trying to do some kind of peer-to-peer system or something. I, like, I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, but also, you know, just, just quick. I mean, is it believable that Google did delete all of that data Uh, and didn't hold on to it. Yeah, that's possible because, you know, even Google has its limits of how much data can be collected. Uh, Even the NSA has found its limits, right? That's why it has, that's why it's little, uh, that, that, that compound it was building in Utah kept going up in flames because they, you know, just that much data storage wasn't happening. Uh, Let's read on here. But the privacy implications of the covert location sharing practice are plain. While information about a single cell tower can only offer an approximation of where a mobile device actually is, multiple towers can be used to triangulate its location to within about a quarter mile radius or to a more exact pinpoint in urban areas where cell towers are closer together. The practice is troubling for people who'd prefer they weren't tracked, especially for those such as law enforcement officials or victims of domestic abuse who turn off location services thinking they're fully concealing their whereabouts. 
Although the data sent to Google is encrypted, it could potentially be sent to a third party if the phone had been compromised with spyware or other methods of hacking. Each phone has a unique ID number, which the location data can be associated, which is, that's the IEMI number, which yes, every smartphone has that. Um, and like if your IEMI number isn't, or IMEI number, whatever, uh, isn't, you know, registered like to, to access certain towers, it can't access those towers. So that's a very important little piece of information. Uh, reading on, the revelation comes as Google and other internet companies are under fire from lawmakers and regulators, including for the extent to which they vacuum up data about users. Such personal data, ranging from users' political views to their purchase histories to their locations, are foundational to the business success of companies like Facebook and Alphabet, built on targeted advertising and personalization and together valued at $1.2 trillion by investors. The location-sharing practice does not appear to be limited to any particular type of Android phone or tablet. Google was apparently collecting cell tower data from all modern Android devices before being contacted by courts. A social or source familiar with the matter said the cell tower addresses were being sent to Google after a change in early 2017 to the Firebase cloud messaging service, which is owned by Google and runs on Android phones by default. Even, device, even devices that had been reset to factory default settings and apps with location services disabled were observed by courts sending nearby cell tower addresses to Google. Devices with a cellular data or Wi-Fi connection appear to send the data to Google each time they come within a range within range of a new cell tower. When Android devices are connected to a Wi-Fi network, they will send the tower addresses to Google even if they don't have SIM cards installed. Which, that kind of... Because, that I mean, th- there's so many... so. People may remember, I, in fact, I have a book, darkandroid.info, you can go to it. Now, the book isn't as extreme as what I started with the Dark Android Project, where I was trying to create this really hardened, the Tor Project has a similar thing, too, where you try to create this, like, really hardened, secure, private, uh, arguably anonymous uh, Android device. Like, what, was, what would it take to do that? One of the things you didn't want to do was, um, you know, have a SIM card uh, installed because, well, there are already, you know, issues with... Um, I mean, there's already insecurities with with, with, uh, SIM cards themselves. But part of it was is that also so that it wasn't like an identifier. But now that that doesn't even necessarily matter, okay? (laughs) Like like Google just doesn't, you know, they they don't give a shit. They're still going to identify and they're still going to collect or they still could collect data about it. Um, Let's read a little bit more. Quote, it has pretty concerning implications. Um, You can find, you can... You can kind of envision any number of circumstances where that could be extremely sensitive information that puts a person at risk, and that's from the uh, from the EFF. So, uh, I mean, let, let's let's talk a little bit about this because, well, it, it's crazy for one. Uh, I mean, I again, there's no, I could believe that Google set this up. I could uh, two things. I could believe that Google set this up, and it was just something that that they thought would literally be useful somehow. I don't know how exactly it would help out with messaging services. Of course, maybe they're not telling the entire story. Wouldn't that be a shock? No, of course not. Okay. Is this entire story a shock? No, we already kind of expected that this sort of thing was going, I mean, certainly sovereign tech listeners and many others, you know, already expected that this kind of, you know, stuff was, uh, was, was really going on. Um, but number two, do I believe that they could, that they actually weren't storing uh, the cell ID strings, you know, that data. Yeah, I could believe that too, because again, they really, you know, they are limited in what they can keep. And I wouldn't imagine that that's the most interesting information to have, but I, I'm sure they enjoyed it being able to get access to it whenever they needed to. Um, so I'm just putting that out there that maybe this is completely benign, like that, that that's entirely possible. Uh, I think it's a bad move. 
just like the EFF mentioned that, hey, it's, you know, it's a pretty easy scenario where this ability that Android has uh, could get abused. And, and I think these are very real concerns when you start talking about people that are in like witness protection programs, uh, people that are, uh, you know, getting away from domestic abuse and, and all of this other stuff. Um, yeah, these are very real concerns that they have that somebody could get really tech savvy or somebody could be particularly wealthy and could hire people that are tech savvy, uh, to track somebody down and, you know, and who knows what happens now. I mean, let's, let's be honest, you know, the, a, a couple things, one, I have to kind of agree with a personal hero of mine, you know, one of the, one of the best in cryptography, uh, that being, well, in computer science in general, in my opinion, um, that being Steve Gibson of the Security Now podcast, uh, I agree that with him that, you know, if you are walking around with a smartphone, it's it's tough to like, you know, to say to yourself, oh, yeah, I have privacy, anonymity and security and all this. I mean, like, it, it's really it's it's bit, it's long been to that point. Um, I mean, you could say, well, take the battery out of it. But of course, you know, not uninterestingly, most smartphones don't let you take the battery out anymore. Hmm. Makes you wonder about that one you know, if you don't want to be tracked or something like including in this way where, you know, even with everything off, you know, once you try to connect to something, anything, uh, it, you know, it gives that, that cell ID number. Um, I, I get that, you know, I, I still think that there's things that you can do to mitigate and to make difficult for anybody trying to track you, uh, you know, how that goes. And Google doesn't need to pile on ways to be tracked. Like that's just, that's completely fucking not necessary. Uh, to for smartphones to do what they do and to even go beyond that doing what they do all right so i'm still pissed at google you know don't don't misunderstand me but i do i do want to say yeah i get it if you're carrying around a smartphone you know are you kind of throwing privacy out the door yeah i can see that argument to some degree not all the way but but i can i can certainly respect that now the other thing and this is this is the the elephant in the room that i like to bring up anytime this kind of situation comes up okay is that I want you to know that I know that at the end of the day, you know, whatever Google does, I mean, be aware of this. They say they're going to fix it. Once again, you're going to have to trust them. Uh, of course, you couldn't trust them to not do it in the first place, but well, whatever. Hail Google. Yay, Google. We love you, Google. I, I, I'm being facetious. But understand this, that Google, Facebook, list off the tech giant, list off the company. doesn't matter. The information they have on you is relatively minuscule compared to what MasterCard, Visa, Chase Bank, I don't know, go, go down the list of the credit card companies, whatever, of the data that they have about you. They have tons. They know where you are, when you are, because you have to swipe that card. You got to be there physically. I mean, like, like hell, they, I'm sure they can know right down to the register. Instantaneously. They know what you buy. They know what you like. The whole thing. I mean, they know how much gas you get to how far you could go. I mean, like, there, there's so much, like, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not dodging this. Like, I, I'm just saying this is one of those stories where it's sort of 50-50, where I could see it being benign, uh, but at the same time, it's it's something that should have never been put in the first place, and it is ripe for abuse, you know, and, and for potentially harming somebody, and and, and it's in my opinion, you know, straight up infringing on, on, on privacy, uh, personally, that that's, that's my opinion on it. And I don't care if you, if you say, well, according to the terms of service of Google, they can do this to me. They shouldn't want to do this to you, but 
that's not the world we live in right now. Okay, we're not in the great egoist epoch, unfortunately. But regardless, um, I just want you to be aware that when you hear this sort of stuff, keep in mind that there are companies that are, you know, that, that have way more data about you. And in my opinion, if it hasn't already happened a million times, it's a matter of time before there's very real concerns with that. I mean, and, and look, I think, you know, I think Google really does want to collect as much information about you as they can. Um, it's, it's questionable as to how much they can store and all this. Yep, I get that. Okay. But they, they really do. I think Apple wants as much information about you as, as they can. And that's why you shouldn't, same with Samsung, there's other companies we could talk about. You shouldn't find it uninteresting that, oh, you know, like, what's the big advancement in smartphones over the past couple of years? Oh, Apple, uh, Apple Pay. Ooh, Android Pay. Samsung Pay. They want your credit card data because they know that's the ultimate way to track you. Yeah, ads are also a great way to, especially personalized ads. Personalized ads are a phenomenal way to track uh, human beings. I mean, just just be aware that there is a massive infrastructure, uh, you know, that is keeping an eye on you. And Google and Facebook, I mean, they're just... They're, they're, it's not even like the NSA. I mean, I, I think I think credit, I mean, granted, I, I imagine the NSA has access to whatever the credit card companies, you know, collect on you and all that. But I mean, just just keep in mind that these tech giants, even they aren't the most egregious, you know, and I mean, they're getting there, but even they aren't the most egregious when it comes to all this stuff. And it's just something I haven't mentioned in a while. Uh, and so I want I wanted to bring that to fore that, yeah, this is insane. This is crazy. Uh, but depending on how far you want to go about this. You know, keep in mind that maybe, you know, I mean, this is the importance of, of cryptocurrencies is getting money away from even being viewed by the credit card companies alone. Get out of that. You know, I mean, that that's it, it's phenomenal, you know, that that and, and I think that's why they're so scared. I think that's why a lot of these a lot of these companies were so afraid and did everything they could to try and quash Bitcoin and whatever else was getting developed because they were terrified that they were going to lose their dragnet and their money too, of course, obviously. But, uh, but you know, the big part of it is that they would lose. I mean, cause who knows how much money the credit card companies make, forget about the fucking interest they collect on you. Who knows about what kind of money they make, uh, you know, potentially selling off all of that data that they collect uh, on you to whoever they decide to sell it off to. I mean, it's, and, and I, I think they can, even if there's ever been like some kind of legislation that says they can't do anything with your data. Oh yeah, they can. They could sell it off to governments or whatever else. Um, but you know, with all of that said, I want you to keep this in mind. We're, we're going to move on to another subject here. Okay. But with, with all of that said, just know that, you know, don't give up and say, well, fuck it. I'll just, you know, I'll have everything out, be out in the open because I'm screwed. I'm being tracked no matter what I do, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. The tools exist where you can start to disappear from, you know, this dragnet of surveillance. Okay. Uh, cryptocurrencies are a big one where you can, you know, you can start to step away from, you know, the, the, the trackable money, right? You can use uh, money that, or you, you know, you can use currency that's based off of say zero knowledge proofs and all this. That's why I got, that's why I've been so excited about that technology for so long before everybody else. Well, not everybody else. I'm not saying I'm that far ahead of the times, but before people today are, are so woo, yay. Sovereign tech listeners have been there before that. You, know, you can do that. You can use, you know, you can encrypt your communications, uh, you know, signal, whatever else you want to use. I mean, there's, there's a lot of options out there. 
Okay, start getting used to this stuff. Start using it because it's just going to get more and more important as time goes on. But you know, know know what you're know what you're up against. I don't think it's I you know I, I don't think it's it's a it's a total loss. Don't write it off. Don't write off your privacy, please. Okay, but just know, be knowledgeable of what's going on. So anyway, um, real quick, I do want to tell you. You know, I mentioned cryptocurrencies. If you want to keep an eye on cryptocurrencies, and that includes ones like Zcash, Zencash, Bitcoin, uh, you know, whatever you want to keep an eye on. I want you to go to CryptoCompare.com. They're a sovereign tech sponsor, long time, and uh, they, they are, I mean, it's just, it's one of the best sites on the net. They're, they're doing tremendous work uh, there at, at CryptoCompare.com. Um, I mean, you can get great charts to see, you know, to track the, the prices and everything of what's been going on with, with all of your favorite crypto, even Monero, Dash, it's all there. And uh, there's also awesome like like ratings of new wallets and i mean all, all kinds of things it's just it's a tremendous resource if you're getting into the blockchain and cryptocurrency uh space and i definitely recommend you do if you haven't yet here's your opportunity there's lots of opportunities coming up okay and you can find out about them at cryptocompare.com get on that so all right let's uh let's shake it up and boy this is like i said this is a very impromptu very informal episode um that i'm putting together here because i'm on location and you know, something I, I want to talk about, uh, there's a couple things I, I want to review. Um, I'm half tempted. I just got back from seeing Murder on the Orient Express. That was pretty good. I like that. I mean, and I've read Agatha Christie's works. And, and actually, I'll just say it straight up. I hope I hope we get a sequel because they, they kind of ended it off where uh, where there's mention of, of some murder on the Nile, which uh, the, the, like the sequel book for Murder on the Orient Express was um, uh, was Death on the Nile. Was that what it was called? I, th- I think that was the name of it. But, I mean, you know, we were talking about books from, like, the 30s. Uh, the, yeah, I, I enjoyed the movie. And, and of course, seeing um, seeing Daisy Ridley in action. She was in the film, and she was fantastic. She is just, oh, man, Daisy Ridley. What a gal. What a gal. And I can't, you know, I, here's something else I can't believe. It's only going to be, it's like three weeks until Episode 8 of Star Wars comes out. And you know what that means? I, every time a new Star Wars movie comes out, I dedicate an entire hour of a Sovereign Tech episode, an entire half ep- half of an episode, to reviewing the new Star Wars movie. And that is going to happen when Episode 8 comes out. So I'll be catching it December 14th, um, and, and you know my review will be that weekend. Uh, so I'm really, really excited uh, you know, for, for that. that that's, that's so cool. But, so it was nice to, to get warmed up to seeing uh, you know, just the, 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 the phenomenal, talented, beautiful uh, Daisy Ridley um, on the screen, you know, b- before doing that. But dude, yeah, Murder on the Orient. I mean, I don't know if you want to necessarily see it in theaters. I'll, I'll tell you, I used MoviePass, talking about tracking you. <laughs> and I brought this up. This is the last time. In fact, when MoviePass, I, I have a couple other things I'm going to talk about here quick. But um, when when MoviePass came out, which MoviePass is the service. We, we talked about it when it was first announced or when they when they updated their plan. Um, you, what you do is is you get an account. It's nine ninety nine a month, okay, and you can only get it for yourself. You can't. Well, now they allow you to gift them, but you can't get like a family plan or a couples plan, which is still stupid that you can't. But whatever. Um, so it's nine ninety nine a month. What they do is you download the app, and they send you what looks like a debit card, what looks like a credit card. And I and I tested this out. Um, you you find and they have like four thousand theaters. Like I haven't found a theater yet around me that that plays you know films that are out that are hot uh you know that are that are newly released i haven't found a theater yet that doesn't take it so you find the theater in your app and you have to be 100 yards 
away from the theater. So you can't do it from like home unless you're, you live next to the theater, which Satan bless you. That's wonderful. Uh, but, um, but you, you know, so when you get to the theater, you open it up and it'll give you the listing of show times and all that you choose your show times and that will, that'll like, that's like your check-in and you hit check-in on the app. Then you go up to the, uh, you know, you, you go up to the, the, the cashier, the register operator or whatever at the, um, at the theater and you tell them what movie you're seeing, what time, and it should be the same one that you put into the app. And then you just hand them your movie pass, debit card slash credit card, whatever. They swipe that and it lets you in. And it was great because the movie I saw, when I saw Orient Express, um, the ticket itself cost eleven forty, And so I, I got a discount right there because I only paid 10 bucks because it's 10 bucks a month. Now, how movie pass works is, is you can see uh, one movie per day you know, every day of the week if you wanted. Um, but it's only 10 bucks. So <laughs> I, I, I think it's like every day. I, I don't think there's like any kind of limit like that, if I remember. So, but it worked and it worked beautifully. Uh, I was, I was, re- you know, really, really pleased with how MoviePass worked. Now, when we first talked about MoviePass, people were saying like TechCrunch and a bunch of other people were doing the story saying, yeah, but you see now MoviePass, why are they doing this and how are they eating the cost? Because like I just said, the movie, and this was even like a matinee showing, Okay, the movie cost eleven forty, but I only paid ten dollars. And if I saw another movie, say tomorrow or something like that, you know that, I mean, Movie Pass would be eating that cost constantly. I mean, if I, especially if I saw like a movie every day, I mean, they'd be in some real trouble because they'd be out hundreds and hundreds of dollars that they would be paying to the theater. Uh, so how do they make money off of this? It's because they sell the data that they collect about you and your movie going habits to some kind of third party. That's what happens. Now, that that's a concern, right? And I understand that concern. And if you don't want to pay for a movie pass because of that, I totally respect and I understand that. But when we last talked about it on Cybertech, and this is some months ago, that's when I that was one of the one of the other times that I told you about it, I said, hey, pay attention. You know, credit card companies are already doing this to you across the board. If you have a problem with movie pass doing it, you bet you better burn your credit card. Because, I mean, they're doing it like 10 times worse. You know, if anything, if you're doing it through MoviePass, you're kind of like mitigating it and, and having it go to a different company than your credit card company. Okay. So anyway, but MoviePass works great. I was I was super impressed at just how easy that was and, and how beautifully uh, that that worked. So I'll definitely be using that, you know, for, from now on. So anyway, yeah, Murder on the Orient Express. I don't know if you want to necessarily go see it in theaters. If you have MoviePass, there's no reason not to see any movie in theaters. If you're using movie pass for fuck's sake, just like go every day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I were, if I were a younger man, if I was a teenager and I had movie pass, uh, like I just, I, I'd, I'd be at the theater every day that, that, that literally, I mean, cause I just, I love movies that much, um, that that's how it would have went. But anyway, um, that's not what I really wanted to talk about. What I want to talk about is stranger things Two. um, that this, this came out on Netflix at the end of uh, October meant to be kind of a, you know, a Halloween release, uh, a short fairly short season, like nine episodes. Um, and I want to talk about this because, well, I, I reviewed the first uh, season of Stranger Things, which was kind of a, you know, it was a, a, an underground hit. Like it, it came out of nowhere and suddenly everybody's like, holy shit, you got to watch Stranger Things. It's amazing. You know, everybody was saying that to everybody and Stranger Things too. Yeah. Everybody's on board watching it. So spoiler alerts, if you haven't seen it yet, I, I waited a, you know, about a month uh, since it's released. So, um, if you haven't seen it yet, well, turn this off, but I'm not really going to give away that much. 
anyway, so overall, Stranger Things 2, what did I think about it? Um, and if you don't know the story behind Stranger Things 2, well, just real quick, it takes place in the 80s, and it has to do with, um, like, these these four kids who, you know, they find out they're in a town where there's this, like, crazy government project going on um, that has to do with, uh, you know, kind of sounds like MK Ultra style stuff, uh, but where it has to do with, you know, creating or fostering humans that have all these kind of psionic powers and mental mental abilities and whatever else. Uh, and then they're opening like this uh, gateway to not necessarily hell, but like kind of an underworld. Okay. <laughs> the other side uh, as it, as it were. And which is like a, a darker version of wherever they are, but then like creatures from this darker version of wherever you happen to be are coming over into like our reality. And all takes place in the eighties and pl- makes a very nice nostalgia trip. The music's phenomenal. It was once again in, Sh- in stranger things season two. Uh, and it was good. I mean, just, just, just straight up uh, good. Well, I don't like to use the term good. Uh, it was, it was very well done. Once again, it hit, it hit a lot of the nostalgia notes that the first season did. Um, the story was was excellent. The acting was once again phenomenal. Um, I mean, Winona Ryder is there. Everybody involved uh, was was really you know I, I thought they really delivered. Um, and the thing is, is that like it it was it was it was it was great, but it didn't feel as groundbreaking. And it didn't feel like there was a lot underneath like there was in the first season. It definitely wasn't as solid uh, or wasn't as intriguing as the first season. And now the Duffer brothers who, who make the show, um, that, that's their, that's the, you know, it's kind of like the Wachowskis or something. Uh, but the, the Duffer brothers, they said they knew they didn't have like the mystery, the element of mystery for this season, uh, you know, to, to really keep people hooked and everything. And I really, I felt like this entire season was very much, um, and I'll, I'll recap some of my reviews season one here in a second, but I thought this entire season was very much just like a setup for their universe, like that they're going to either a turn this into a franchise or B season three is going to get into, uh, you know, a much, I don't know, like a whole other storyline of, of some kind, something much deeper that they needed to set up everything in season two for. Like, the, this season really felt like it was, it was total setup. There was, where season one, I thought that there was a lot, like I said, there was a lot going on underneath. In fact, I thought that, um, I, I mean, I, I could understand this, you know, if you want to get into the realm of, like, conspiracy theory, there was a lot of MK Ultra stuff going on, and there was a lot of creepy shit. Uh, I, I don't recall the episode number where I reviewed season one because uh, otherwise I'd direct you to it. Because I, I, I kind of lay out point by point where I thought, I was like, yeah, this is, you know, this is kind of fucked up what, what they're showing off here. Um, I mean, it may be just the Duffer Brothers were basing it off of, you know, a lot of the uh, documented, albeit not necessarily provable, uh, uh, stories that revolve around, you know, things like government, like CIA programs like MKUltra and all that. Uh, but this one had like none of that. In fact, that that's kind of the weird thing with stranger things, uh, season two is that I don't think it meant anything. And I, I've heard some pretty crazy theories about what it actually, what it actually meant. Um, and, and I think it meant absolutely zero. It, it had no allegory. It had no, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't an, like, I mean, it wasn't an allegory for anything. Um, it had, th- there was, there was nothing. There, there's no hidden story here. There's no, uh, this meant, this represents this, this represents this. None of that. 
As for season one, I think there was a lot of arguments to be made about what was really going on there. Like, who was really being played in that, you know? Uh, and I didn't see that at all in Stranger Things season two. Um, I saw I saw a lot of setup for, for a future story, and that's all. Like, you know, bringing in new characters, closing off some stuff that happened in season one. Um, but but that is that is really it. I think anybody arguing that there is some kind of deeper meaning to Stranger Things season two, uh, I I don't I think they need to get their heads examined, you know, by by some MK Ultra scientists. No, <laughs> but I do think I do think they're reading like so far into this, like it, it's laughable uh, because they're, they're this this season. It, again, the story was solid. Uh, everything about it was, you know, the production, all that was was really good. You know, was was really really on point. Um, I I thought it was very enjoyable. It was totally worth watching. Uh, you know, no no problems whatsoever as far as any of that goes. But it really like what it was missing that season one had. It was that there was no like there was nothing there was no deeper meanings whatsoever uh, in this season. And that's okay. I mean, I get it. Sometimes you just gotta write. You gotta you know you gotta roll out a story that just gives you setup for whatever's going to happen in the next season or whatever's going to happen in the next story or something like this. Uh, like one of the big things that happened in, um, in season two is you find out that there's more of uh, people like 11 who have like, you know, these psionic powers and everything. That's an important point to get out there, but that's what, that's all that season two felt like was setting you up for what was going to come. None of it meant really anything, you know, and it gave you some closure to find out what happened to 11 after the fact and all that. Sure. Fine. Um, but it didn't have any, it actually didn't have any deeper meaning as to where I think you could look at season one and you could, I mean, you know, you could spend your whole life, you know, looking into everything that was being, uh, you know, represented perhaps, or what was really going on and all that within, within season one. So I don't want to say it was disappointing because it was still, it was still really enjoyable. It, it was just, it wasn't the same. It, it really wasn't the same as, as, as season one. Um, and I imagine season three. Now that it has whatever setup it needed in season two, I imagine season three is, you know, might, might blow away season one. Maybe, maybe it'll be that great. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but that's, yeah, I had a few people email me, Hey, what did you think of stranger things season two? Yeah, that's what I think. I like, it's just, it, it was, it was good. It just didn't, you know, there, there wasn't anything deeper going on. There's not a whole lot for me necessarily to say about it because there's not a whole lot going on. I just think that that was the Duffer brothers setting things up. And I think they, they knew they were going to get a season three, you know, there was no way that this wasn't going to get the kind of crazy numbers that Netflix needs to justify making a, you know, a season of a show. There was just no way. Uh, it, it's, it's such a cultural phenomenon already. I mean, everybody copies the logo for whatever they do. Uh, like bodybuilding.com, they, they sell a shirt that's called, that says Stronger Things, and it has, you know, kind of the font of the, the Stranger Things, uh, uh, you know, logo and all that. So, but yeah, there's just, I don't know, it, it just wasn't like super interesting. It was enjoyable. It just wasn't like as interesting and as engaging as, as season one was. Maybe season three will pick that up, or maybe, you know, this is something that needs to happen. Um, we, we need to get back to where, I don't know, it's okay if a show just does one season. You know what I mean? Like, like shows don't have to keep on going on in, into eternity. It, it's really all right if a show just does, here's one great season, and we end them. In fact, some of my favorite shows, you know, we're lucky to even get a half season. But what they presented in that, I'm kind of glad that it it's, exists in that raw form, whether it was because it was planned to only go one season or because it was canceled or whatever. You know, I think, like, Kindred the Embraced 
uh, or th- there's a whole slew of them that I, that I could think of. Uh, frankly, even like Buck Rogers, one of my favorite shows of all time, Buck Rogers is the 25th century. I wouldn't have minded if it just did that one season <laughs> and they didn't try to go with season two. Uh, or how about Battlestar Galactica? Uh, most people ignore Galactica 1980. And I'm talking about the real Battlestar Galactica, not, not that, that dumbass crap that came out in the aughts. Um, the real Battlestar Galactica from the 70s, you know, it's one season. It's one beautiful season. And, yeah, I want more stories, but, like, I'm glad that the show kind of ended, you know, ended on that note. And then, you know, we have the legend that can go on for decades and all that. Uh, yeah, some of these stories, you, you can just, you can kind of tell when they're they're really pushing or they change things dramatically. Uh, or you can tell that they're changing things kind of dramatically to where... Okay, we got to make it fit into where it's a multi-season thing. It's just like books. Not every books, not every book needs a sequel. You know, I, I wish we could get past that, but right now it seems like anytime somebody makes something that's remote, that has the remote possibility of becoming a franchise, and I love franchises, but if it has that ability, uh, they they want it, they just jump on it, and I and I I feel like they kill it. I don't know. It, it just seems like such a waste. But that that's the creativity problem in in Hollywood right now. Well, anyway. That's it for, so there you go. Stranger Things uh, season two didn't mean anything. It, I think that whole season was pure setup uh, for season three. And I look forward to uh, to season three because I, I think it's it's really a phenomenal show. Uh, so, all right, I'm going to leave it at that. that that's enough uh, for this week. <laughs> I've been, been flapping my app down here for a while. So, uh, whoo. Um, of course, if you want to become a patron, uh, please go to SovereignTech.com where you can become a patron. And, uh, hey, I will see you on the other side. And, oh, baby, next week I have got one hell of an episode lined up for you. Just wait. Woo! I'll see you on the other side. just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.